Amen. All right. How are we today? Are we... <laughs> that light might need to be turned off. Okay, there it goes. Um, question for you. What is a Christian? A baby Christ. Okay. There you go. Literal definition, okay, of the word Christian means a little Christ. In um, the book of Acts, it says that in Antioch, that was the first time, first place where, where the believers were called Christians. And it was actually used as kind of a derogatory name for them, that they were little Christ's, um, which is actually a huge compliment that these people were living in such a way, uh, so clearly, so obviously that people saw that they were actually trying to imitate Christ. Um, but I'm going to give you a little bit different definition, which is a Christian is somebody who has heard the gospel, has believed the gospel, and has received the gospel. Okay, so um, now the next step of that is that as a person who has heard, believed, and received the gospel, our job is then to declare the gospel or proclaim it to other people. But we have to kind of take a step back and say, what, what is the gospel? According to um, the Bible, what we see the gospel is, is the good news. That's literally what the gospel means, the good news. So when we read the four gospels, we are reading the four uh, accounts of the good news that Jesus Christ came he lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial, sacrificial death, and he rose miraculously on the third day to pay for sin and to conquer death. Okay, so that's the gospel in a nutshell is the story of Jesus, but also the story of Jesus uh, as it relates to bringing you and me into a relationship with God. The good news is that we are saved through what Jesus did for us, right? That's the gospel. Um, there are a lot of different ways to explain or to um, communicate the gospel. The uh, Billy Graham uh, website, Billy, Ga Billy Graham Evangelism uh, website says uh, how to receive Christ. Four R's, okay? Number one, recognize God's plan, peace in life. Uh, it says John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, who has, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Two, realize our problem separation from God, and that's uh, Romans 3.23, wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Three, respond to God's remedy, the cross, uh, but God showed his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then four, receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, John 1.12, all who uh, did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Billy Graham's uh, website says there are uh, four steps to understanding the gospel, responding to it. Uh, have you ever heard of this, the four spiritual laws? Okay, from uh, Bill Bright, this is Campus Crusade material. And so the four spiritual laws are, one, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Number two, man is sinful, separated from God, therefore he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. Three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. And four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then we can know and experience God's love and plan 
for our lives. Um, I was down in the uh, junior high Sunday school class, and on the wall there's a poster, and it has the gospel acronym. And so the word gospel is used to explain the gospel. Uh, G, God created us to be with him. O, our sins separate us from God. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Um, or we, what we do in El Salvador, a lot of the time when we uh, explain the gospel, we'll use colors. And so there's a lot of ways to do this. You can use a lot of different colors, but if you simplify it, there are four basic colors. Black is sin, uh, red is blood and the redemption, uh, white is forgiveness, and gold is heaven. Uh, or you could use uh, the ABCs. Uh, we had a VBS program um, probably like 12 or 13 or 14 years ago uh, that was Game Day Central. And for whatever reason, I downloaded the soundtrack onto my phone. Okay, onto, so every time I plug my phone into my car, the first thing that pops up is a VBS song, the ABC Strategy. And I let it play for a little bit, and the kids love it. Um, not really, they're kind of getting tired of it. But ABC strategy is A, accept that you're a sinner, B, B believe God's Son, C, confess Jesus as Lord. ABC strategy of, of the gospel. Um, and then today we're going to talk about the Romans Road. Have you ever heard of the Romans Road to Salvation? Okay, and what it is is that in the book of Romans, there are several scriptures that if you follow the 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 plan, the pattern, the path, that it would lead you into salvation. Um, but what we want to do is we want to not just have methods that we use to, to uh, communicate the gospel. What we want is to understand why these truths, this is like the irreducible minimum of the gospel. What are the basic truths that tell us what God's plan of salvation is? What, what he wants to do in your life, my life, to bring us into a relationship with himself. He communicates that through his word. Um, you can read through the entire Bible to understand it. Uh, we need to read the entire Bible to understand all of, of God's plan and his will. Um, but there are certain passages that kind of give us a clear picture of the, the basic elemental uh, truths of who we are, who God is, what his plan is for salvation, how we need to respond to that. And as Christians, it's not just our job to accept that for ourselves. It's also our job to make sure we can somehow clearly portray it in our lives authentically and communicate it when necessary, right? So we're going to walk through uh, the Romans road to salvation. But before we do that, uh, I want to just declare and, and uh, share with you Paul's heart. Um, I, he's giving a declaration to the Romans. I believe it's also uh, communicating to our church, uh, God's heart for our church, from Romans 15, starting in verse 14. Let's stand and read God's word together. Romans 15, starting in verse 14, it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And I believe that about First Baptist Church of Lido. But on some points, 
Um, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given by me by God to be a minister of Christ to you, the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God. It is a priestly service, meaning that all believers are priests in the kingdom of God. Amen? It's a priesthood of all believers that we serve the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that same prayer. We, we believe that same scripture for ourselves. You desire to proclaim and declare the good news of Jesus to our community, to everyone in this county, to everyone in this state and in this world, Lord. We, we know that. Uh, but you've given us a particular place and a time opportunities, influences, Lord. You've, you've put us in families. You've put us in schools and workplaces and in friendships uh, where we can somehow, by any means possible, we pray, uh, declare, proclaim, testify, witness to the truth of the gospel, Lord, the good news that you have changed lives through Jesus Christ. You have saved lives, that you have redeemed lives, that you have forgiven hearts, minds, and souls, and you have put us on a path towards a destiny, Lord, to live with you forever, to be uh, never separated from you, not in this experience or in the next, that we have fellowship with you now and forever, that we can know you, that we can understand your plan, that we can understand your will, we can live it out in a way that is glorious, often challenging, but full of your purpose and your power. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us uh, with that strength, with that conviction, with that confidence for your glory, that we might live uh, the gospel out, that we might be called Christians, Lord, in the way that it was always intended, that people would see us and they would see that we are really trying to imitate Christ, to live like you, to be like you, and that, Lord, somehow by your Holy Spirit, you are enabling us to do that, not perfectly, but increasingly, for your glory, for the witness of this community in this world, uh, that more people might be saved, might be redeemed, might be called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light for their sake, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So the, uh, the Romans' road of salvation begins in Romans 3.23, if you want to write these scriptures down, um, uh, it might serve you well uh, to have these in your margin of your Bible. Uh, but Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, and key word there is all, and uh, another key word is sin. Now, uh, the glory of God is the perfection of God. It is the absolute perfection of God in all aspects of His holiness, that He is perfectly righteous, that he is, he is perfect in knowledge, that He's perfect in power, He's perfect in goodness, He's perfect in His love and His intention. Uh, he's perfect in every aspect, every realm, every uh, aspect of His nature. Um, and here we are, and we have fallen from that. And so the, the word sin has at least three different uh, definitions or connotations. And one is uh, the word hamartia in, in Greek, which oftentimes is translated sin, and all it really means is imperfect, okay? You've fallen short. Hamartia means that there's a bullseye and you've missed it, 
And it, and it actually has to do with you biologically, that you're not perfect in your uh, physical nature, right? That you, you're not perfect in your body. Anybody feel like you have a perfect body? Don't answer that if you do, but nobody feels like they have a perfect body because we don't. We're, we're corrupt. We're, we're um, full of problems, programming issues. Uh, we don't have perfect bodies. And, which is, this is kind of weird, every single human being is imperfect physically, and also, um, most people are uh, deeply sensitive about their imperfections, right? We, we, we have this self-esteem issue that we are sensitive about the fact that we're not perfect. And yet, everyone is not perfect. Isn't that weird? And the reason why is because not only are we imperfect physically, we're imperfect emotionally. Anybody feel imperfect emotionally? A little unstable right now? <laughs> You're imperfect mentally. You don't know everything. You don't feel the way that you want to feel, and you have a hard time controlling how you feel in any given moment. And sometimes, you know, I get nervous. Anybody ever get nervous? You get a little anxious? You're like, okay, what am I anxious about? I mean, I, I go through this several times a day. What am I anxious about? I just start feeling like this anxiety start to pop up and crop up in my heart, and I'm like... I don't know. I'm not, there's nothing going on. Sometimes just thinking through, like, there's nothing I really need to be anxious about right now, and it'll kind of take the, the power away from that. But you just have this weird thing going on in your heart that you, you're not perfect emotionally, you're not perfect mentally. There are things I don't know, I don't understand. Even if I applied myself to learning everything that I could learn, I couldn't possibly learn it all. You're limited in your knowledge. You're limited in your ability. You're limited in, in your craft, in your, even the things that you're good at, you're not perfect at. You're, you, we just missed the mark. And so the idea in Scripture that all have sinned in the sense of we're not perfect is so universally, um, absolutely verified across the board, anywhere you look, all cultures, every human being can, you just say, that person's not perfect, right? There's, there's really shouldn't be an argument here. The next thing, though, is that not only are we imperfect by nature, we're also, um, we choose to sin, to do the wrong thing. Two other things. One is disobedience. The other one is rebellion. So disobedience, and I think I talked about this a week or two ago, uh, disobedience is knowing the right thing and doing the wrong thing anyway. Anybody ever do that? This is, you know, with our kids, um, it's when you tell, you know, little Sally, little Johnny, which, I mean, people aren't naming their kids Johnny and Sally anymore, but for illustration purposes, um, don't eat the cookies before dinner. And little Johnny, little Sally... Uh, before dinner, sneaks into the kitchen and opens up the cookie jar. Anybody have a cookie jar anymore? Still have cookie jars. Okay, so open up the cookie jar, and they grab an Oreo, and they put the cookie jar back, and they sneak off into a corner somewhere. I remember when I was uh, eight, my mom had made ambrosia salad. Anybody know what ambrosia salad is? So good. And... I love ambrosia salad. We were taking it to a potluck, and my parents had said, don't eat the ambrosia salad. And what did I do? Got a little bowl, took it into the garage, (laughs) 
seriously, connected to the house. I'm so, I was so stupid. This is not a surprise to anybody. But I went to the garage. We're, the family's getting ready to leave for this picnic. They all come into the garage where I've hidden and eating this ambrosia salary. What are you doing? And um, struggles of a fat kid. I mean, that's just what it was. So I got in trouble. I knew it was wrong. I was trying to hide. I wasn't like, no, I don't agree with your rule. I knew it was wrong. I just wanted what I wanted, right? And that's, that's disobedience. Rebellion is actual, like, defiance. And defiance is, this is the sin of Satan. This is Satan before God saying, I don't care what your rule is. This is what I want to do. You're wrong. I'm right. Okay, that's, that is rebellion. So here's why this distinction is important. Um, everyone is a fallen creature who is uh, missing the mark in every area of your life. Okay, you're imperfect in every, every area of your life. That in and of itself is enough, but there are two other things that are going on in most people's lives and in all of our lives. One is disobedience. We, we know the right thing to do, but we do the wrong thing anyway. Now, a person who is simply disobedient um, can and will often respond to um, the gospel positively because we know the right thing and we want to do the right thing. We're just unable to do the right thing. And so hearing about Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and his, his love and his power and God drawing us into that relationship sounds good. The rebellious person says, I don't want to hear the gospel. I don't want to respond to the gospel. I don't, I don't agree with you as Christians. I don't want to hear about your faith. I don't want to hear about you going to church, about your worship, about you believing the Bible and all. And so what's going to happen is that a Christian person will begin to share their faith, their witness, their testimony uh, with people that they work with, people they go to school with, people maybe even their own family who are in a state of rebellion. And that person who is in a state of rebellion is going to get angry at you for being a Christian. doesn't matter. You may not try to be pushing it on somebody. You might not be uh, trying to declare to them they need the, the gospel. It may just be you're saying, this is what I believe, and you have an immediate, not necessarily always violent, but aggressive sense of re rejection of you. Okay? And the reason why is because that person is in rebellion, not just disobedience. Rebellion means I hate to hear about what you believe. Okay? And that is fundamentally a, uh, a condition where Satan has so blinded somebody that they're in agreement with Satan. So what happens for you and me, we need to know that because when we are dealing with different kinds of people where we're trying to express our faith, you might be scared by that kind of response into silence and not sharing and not even proclaiming, not trying to witness, not trying to uh, even live out your faith in front of those people for fear that they may respond to you with this kind of attitude, which is the definition of effective persecution. It's not just that you're physically being harmed or your property is being taken or you're being taken to jail, uh, losing your freedom. It is an issue of somebody's response in rebellion is so strong to your witness that it silences you effectively. That's persecution. 
And if you don't understand that, when you come up against it, it might startle and shock you to the point of just saying, I, I can't share with that person. Um, now, there is an issue of Jesus saying, well, we need to be careful not to throw our, our pearls before swine. I'm not going to try to convert somebody who is in an, a state of rebellion, but I have to make sure that I'm never giving up on proclaiming clearly my faith before people, no matter what their response is. This is what the Bible says about um, declaring the gospel, preaching the gospel in season and out of season. What that means is, is not about the time of day or the time of year, or the time of, of season in life. It's really about the response of other people, whether people are favorable. See, this is why it's easy for me to preach God's word before God's people because you want to hear what God has to say. It's easy for me. What if there were people in the room that did not want to hear what I had to say? That would be out of season. Do I stop declaring the truth of God's word just because people don't want to hear it? Answer is absolutely not. But I'm not going to force people to try to respond to it. So there are three different kinds of sin that we're dealing with, and the sin uh, response is 6.23. What is, the, what is the nature of sin? What does it cause people to experience? Uh, so Romans 3.23 over to 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's what you have to understand. The definition of death, what is it? See, Satan lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, uh, you will not surely die. And we go back and we look at the, the experience that they had. Okay, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They didn't physically die. They actually lived like 900 more years. So was Satan actually being truthful when he said, you won't surely die? And the reality is that because of the way we um, interpret or, or uh, translate the the message of what death is, we've been tricked into kind of agreeing with Satan. Here's the deal. Death means separation. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were immediately separated from fellowship with God. And what happens when you die ultimately? Your soul is separated from your body. Now, if you die in a state of spiritual separation from God... In other words, if you have not received the gospel and have not responded to the gospel and you die, your spirit is separated from your body, then your spirit continues to be separated from God for all eternity. And this is how we define hell. Hell is your spirit separated from God's presence for all eternity. That's spiritual death. Um, so what the, the case is here with the wages of sin is death, what it means is... Um, your separation from God is what we all experience when you don't have Christ in your life. It is the natural state of every human being before the redemption of Christ comes in and solves that problem and brings you back into fellowship with God. Amen? Okay. So the wages means that this is what is earned and this is what is deserved. Now, this is where we have a check in our heart. We're like, wait a second. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. doesn't seem just. Why for a temporary, sinful lifestyle, choices, whatever, do I have eternal separation? And here's, here's how it works. Let me 
try to portray it this way. Let's say someone murders someone you love. Okay, horrifying thought. Okay, but somebody you love has been murdered. That person was caught. They were brought to trial. They were proven to be guilty. The jury um, comes to a unanimous conclusion. This person is guilty. They did this crime. They murdered this person. The judge, after the the jury has sentenced this person or has uh, confirmed this person guilty, the judge says, you are free to go. You don't have to go to jail. Just go. Is that just? If, if it's a person that I care about who's been murdered and this person is, is being let off without having to pay a penalty, I would say that is not justice. Wouldn't you say that's, that's, the, that's the epitome, that's the definition of injustice? They've earned the right to be prosecuted and punished because of a crime, a heinous thing that they did. They need to be punished for that, okay? Um, it would be unjust for them. So God is just and God is good. And if God is just and good, he has to give people what they deserve. They've earned separation by their choices, by their actions. They've earned it. Let's say it this way. Um, let's say you have a nice car that you like. And... It was maybe just a little bit more than you had the money in the bank to pay for, so you got a loan for this car. And then somebody comes along and they smash that car. (laughs) Okay. For those of you who are sleeping. Okay. And your car is totaled. Now you still owe money on this car. The car has a value. You no longer have the ability to drive this car. Who's going to pay for it? It costs something, right? Somebody's got to pay for it. The bank, are they going to pay for it? You better believe they are not, okay? You could pay for it. You could say, I'll just pay for it. I'm going to pay for the car. I don't have a car, but I'm still going to pay the loan on the car. Or the person who smashed your car, they could pay for the car. Somebody's got to pay for it. There's a cost to it. And here's what God says in his eternal cosmic economy is that sin costs something. And actually, sin costs a lot, right? It costs a lot. In fact, here's what the Bible tells us. Sin costs so much that if it's not redeemed through the blood of Jesus, then it would take you an eternity in hell, separated from God to pay for it. And in fact, you would never in all eternity, ever, 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 ever be able to pay back the cost of sin. You cannot do it. Okay, it is so much. It's, it's the, the, the way the Bible talks about it, Jesus tells a story about um, a guy who owed a king billions of dollars. Okay, Um, And in his lifetime, he makes a uh, minimum wage. And you making a minimum wage, how long would it take you to pay off billions of dollars? You can't even calculate it, okay? And this is what the, the economy of heaven is all about. It's this understanding that sin costs so much that you can't pay for it ever. 
You can't give anything. You can't be good enough. This is why it's so ridiculous to think that somehow my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and God will say that's good enough and come on into heaven. God requires perfection and that sin is paid for. So your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. Now, number one, um, how many good deeds have you done today? I mean, you came to church, that might count as one, right? And how many wrong things have you done? Now, I'm not saying everybody got up and did a bunch of wrong things. I'm just saying, if you just go through your day-to-day life, just think about this for just a minute. I go through my day-to-day life. Can I point to more good things? I'm not talking about neutral things. I'm not talking about, yeah, I ate breakfast. Uh, I got up and I hit my alarm on the first try and I got up. Okay. I took a shower today. That's, those aren't good things. That didn't help any. I mean, taking a shower does help other people. But <laughs> talking about helping somebody, doing something of value to someone else that is measurable. How many good things did you do compared to the things that are either neutral or bad? Do they really outweigh? I mean, I'm going to bet. I don't, I'm not betting. I'm not a betting person. But I'm going to say, I could almost guarantee if we were all to think about our day-to-day life, we would have a hard time thinking about even a handful in the last month of good, actual good, measurable things that we did to help someone else of value that we could say, yes, I did those good things that would be confirmed by those other people saying, yes, that person, they really helped me. A handful compared to all the rest of the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis. You think that your good deeds are going to outweigh your bad deeds? That's not even the economy that God's working from, but even in that economy, we don't measure up. We understand that. You want me to move on? (laughs) Wages. This is what we earn. Here's the, the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's what God says. I've paid for it. I've paid for all of it. I've paid for your sin. I've paid for your disobedience. I've even even paid for your rebellion. I've paid for every mistake. I've paid for every imperfection. I have paid the cost completely. And all God is saying is, all you have to do is receive it. Now, here's the deal. He's offering this in love. He's offering it to everyone. He's offering it free of charge, and you can accept it or you can reject it. If you accept it, then he's paid for it, then you have nothing more to worry about. He's done it for you, and now you're a new creature in Christ, and you're saved now and forever. You reject it, then you're saying, I will pay for it on my own. I don't need your payment. I'll pay for it. In what world or universe Does that make any sense? Because you know that you're going to spend eternity paying for it and never come to the end of it, not even close, not even make a dent in the payment. Why would somebody choose to try to pay for it themselves when the payment's been made for you? So this is the gospel. This is what he's saying is that uh, the payment's been made. It's by grace. It's a gift. Now the next thing is, let's see how great this this gift is. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So 
here's what we have to kind of settle and solve. It's not that you are such a good person, God did this for you. It's that even when you were hateful and his enemy and in complete rejection and denial, he still did it for you because he is that loving towards you. It's his love. This is why it says, um, you know, our love is really based on his love for us. It's not that we loved him, it's that he loved us first. And, and the Bible says this, um, no one has greater love than this. You ever heard this before? That he laid down his life for his friends. And he calls you his friend even when you called him an enemy. He loved you when you hated him. He died for you when you weren't willing to lift a finger for him. This is trying to explain how great God's love is for his creatures, every single one. And so then it goes to the reality of how this has to happen. Go to uh, Romans 10 and uh, verse uh, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls will be saved. So the important word here is everyone. Um, the gift is offered to people across time, culture, ethnicity, language. Um, doesn't matter where you were born. Doesn't matter what, how much money you have. Doesn't matter what your color of skin. Doesn't matter uh, how you were raised. Doesn't matter if your parents were married or single or or, or what kind of school you went to, or what kind of education that you have, or what kind of clothes that you wear, or doesn't none of those things matter to God. He looks at you as a human being that He created and loves. He died for you. He's inviting you, no matter who you are, where you are from, what you've been through, what you're going to go through. He says, I'm inviting you into a relationship to destroy the barrier of death, which is separation. I'm going to bring you back into a communion and fellowship with myself through my son, Jesus, but you have to call. It's offered to everyone, but you have to respond to it. Uh, you have to call in the name of Jesus in order to be saved. He is initiating it, but he's also requiring that you respond to it. So here's what this in, intentionally means, that salvation cannot be passively bestowed on someone else. I can't, I can't bestow salvation on you by my will. I can't save you, okay? And in some ways, this is a relief, um, that it's not my ability that saves you. It's not my intelligence that saves you. It's not my power. It's not my spiritual you know, uh, stature. It's, it's not my, my way or, or, or my eloquence in speaking. It's not my good arguments that are going to save you. It's the power of Jesus can save you, but you have to respond. And we're going to declare it, but you have to do something with it. So here's the challenging part of this, is that you and I, every single one of us, have to come to a place of responsibility for my own faith. And I can appreciate what my parents did for me. I can value it. Um, but whatever they did for me, raising me, um, whatever religion or faith or tradition or church I grew up in, that's all fine and good. Whatever it is, good or bad, um, really the, the issue is I have to at some point come to terms with my own relationship with God through the truth of his word and the power of what his son did for me, and I'm going to either acknowledge that or reject it. And what I mean is this. 
When you got baptized as an infant, if you were baptized as an infant, that didn't save you. Your parents having faith in, in Jesus doesn't save you. Or your grandparents having faith in Jesus doesn't save you. Being raised in the church, good or, you know, whatever church you grew up in, this one or, or some other church, whatever, that doesn't save you. You are responsible for responding personally and intentionally to the gospel in your own life. And that's it. The, the issue of whether or not I will respond to Jesus in my life is something that God has gifted you in his creation. He said, I made them in my image, male and female, I created them. And part of what that means, and probably not the whole thing, but part of what it means is that I am responsible, morally responsible before God for myself. I have the wonderful privilege of being able to take that moral responsibility and then proclaiming the truth of it to other people to help them to come to grips with their own relationship. But my salvation is based on my reception of the gospel in my life. And so is yours. And you can listen to great sermons. You can listen to terrible sermons. Okay? They don't save you. Having a wonderful worship experience doesn't save you. We wish that it did. We, we want people to come close to God and feel God's presence in worship and through the preaching of the word. But at some point, everything that you have experienced in a wonderful worship service will not have an effect on you until you respond to it yourself. Right? And here's the call, okay? Here's the last scripture. Romans uh, 10, 9, and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. Why that? Because he's a living Lord. He lives forever to make intercession for you. He is alive and well. If you will confess, if you will believe, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and it is with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So there's two parts, the internal. I have to receive this internally in my heart, believe it in my heart. God, save me. God, I'm a sinner. God, I need you. Thank you for Jesus. You have done a work through the cross. I'm receiving that. I'm accepting that by my, your invitation, and I'm inviting you into my life. Okay? I believe that. That's an internal thing. Then the, the response of the internal is the external. I confess that. Here's what the, the scripture always declares from beginning to end, that there's no such thing as private faith. Personal faith, yes, not private. So what, when I receive the gospel into my life and believe it in my heart, then I am responsible to then declare it somehow publicly. In fact, Scripture says that um, we are commanded to publicly declare it initially by baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. I already said that. But it is my first act of obedience. When I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm receiving the gospel, and I'm saying that I'm buried with Christ, and I'm raised to walk in a new newness of life. I, my old self is dead. My, I have a new self. 
And he says in his word that the first thing that you do is you declare that to the world through a public proclamation through baptism. You immerse yourself in water, you get up out of that water, and you say, I believe in Jesus. It doesn't save me, but it shows or it declares, it proclaims that I am saved. First ordinance, second ordinance is communion. Here's what we say in communion is that when I receive this, these elements, then what I'm doing is I am declaring that I have received the gospel. This is just bread and juice. That's all it is. Now, we don't believe that there's any mysterious, mystical, spiritual power to this necessarily. Um, although, in 1 Corinthians, um, because the church was taking communion in an unworthy manner, people were getting sick and dying. And so what we say is, um, according to that, we, we need to take this seriously. You don't take communion if you haven't declared Jesus as Lord. Because it is... It's a form of blasphemy. It is taking what God did for you so lightly that you could somehow say, this does not matter, and I can take it and even reject his gift, which would be an abomination. When you take communion, you're saying, I have received the gospel. And so we invite you to, even right now, receive the gospel. Here's the wonderful thing about the gospel. I, I've said this so many times, I don't ever tire of saying it. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, and even if you were completely what we would say, lost, coming into this church service, did not know Jesus, did not receive Jesus, didn't care about him whatsoever. But in this moment, you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. In your heart right now, you can pray the prayer, Lord Jesus, come and save me. And you can take communion this morning, today, and say, I am declaring that I have received the gospel and I'm proclaiming that I am a believer. Immediately, instantly, Jesus can save you. And this is how salvation always works. It's immediate and instant. God will fulfill his promise as soon as you call on his name. Okay, It's not like this thing that started and then someday down the road you'll maybe get saved someday. Okay, You accept Jesus right now, he saves you right now. Amen? So I want to just encourage you. Okay, This is part of our confession of faith. If you need a cup... Grab a cup. They're gluten-free on the tables for those who need gluten-free. Um, they should be in those little pockets right in front of you. Grab a cup. Peel back the lid, whatever it is. Grab the bread. What I want to do is, as we're getting ready, I want to just pause. I want to pray. I want to pray for... I want to give you a space to pray. It's not my prayer that's going to do anything for you, okay? It's your prayer that matters. But let's pray that God would reveal to our hearts if there's anything that has... Because sin separates us. Even though we're eternally saved, the, the un, 
repentant, unforgiven sin that we've committed that we haven't brought before the Lord still causes us to feel a, a, a separation in our fellowship with God. We all experience that. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit is what causes us to remember and understand that that thing that I did was wrong and I need to be forgiven for it so that I can confess that to the Lord and He can bring me back close in, in my relationship with Him. Okay? So let's just pause. Let's just let the Lord work and do His thing as we pray. Father, I, I thank You that we can come and that we can come into Your presence at all is, is amazing beyond comprehension, Lord, that we would be invited to stand before the God of the universe who is perfect. Invited to do that, invited to do it confidently and boldly. Lord, in, throughout the Old Testament, we saw people who were approached by you who were so fearful that they had come into your presence that they were going to immediately be struck dead. And over and over and over, you told them, you are holy, you are holy Lord, there, there's no doubt about it, but that you are also a God who loves and invites and is willing to offer grace and mercy, forgiveness. And you paid that price completely and, and permanently through your son, Jesus. And that's what we celebrate, Lord, the fact that the death, even as gruesome and horrifying as it is to even think that even a good man would die such a sacrificial death, but not just that, the perfect son of God who didn't do one wrong thing was willing to lay his life down, willing to die for enemies, willing to die for those who hated him, willing to die for those who rejected him, who called us friends when we were still lost in our sin addicted to it, abandoned to it, slaves to it, Lord, you were willing to die to let your body be broken so that ours could be healed. So, Lord, that's what we receive today. We receive you, our Savior. We proclaim it. We declare it. We, we thank you for it. Um, Lord, we pray for strength to make you known, even as we declare this right now, but beyond that, to the world around us as we go. But thank you for making your gospel known to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Take your cup and peel that seal back. Let me pray. Lord, again, um, just reminded that your blood was not spilled. That, that would imply 
an accident, it would imply that um, it was taken. Your blood was shed on the cross. It was freely and willingly given. And we give all the praise to you. I'm reminded again of, of the fact that your perfect blood somehow washes us and it is a transfusion into us. Lord, we, we are made different, made pure, made holy. Lord, your blood runs through our veins. You fundamentally and absolutely change our hearts. Our hearts are are pumping your life. Lord, we give you all the praise for that. We thank you that when you see us, you see your son. When you look at us, you see perfection and righteousness. Lord, and we know that we're far from that in our day-to-day life, Lord, but you've made us new creations in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God and we're declared different. And we give you all the praise for that. And so we uh, thank you for the cup, a covenant in your blood, which is a promise, which is a testimony, which is a legal contract, a promise that you made to us that you will fulfill now and forever. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So after the meal, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink ye all of it. I'm going to ask our praise band to come up as we close. I just want to lift you up uh, as we uh, continue. My prayer is that the declaration that we just made uh, would be an ongoing proclamation that we make to friends, families, coworkers, students, neighbors, people we uh, come into contact with in public wherever we go, that we are declaring a new spiritual reality. The gospel has done its work in my life, and I will never be the same. Amen. Lord, we thank you again. We want to worship you. Uh, We just come before you with grateful hearts that you would do such a thing for people like us, that you care for us that much. And Lord, we we thank you that it, it does not depend on our perfection how lost we would be if that were the case. It simply depends on your promise and our acceptance. And so, Lord, we're going to go through our days remembering that we just we want to accept you, accept your will, accept your plan, accept your power, accept your purpose, Lord, your closeness, your relationship. Keep accepting that day in, day out. And Lord, you'll, you'll make the changes. You'll do the work. You've already started. We know that you'll complete it. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.